We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and this is episode 26, Gold Standard. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. How are you this week, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you, David? I am great. So astute listeners of the podcast will recognize that we are a week off this week, and that is because we took a break last week. My companion here was sick, and uh, I was having a bit of a mental week. So uh, we took last week off, and we're going to do back-to-back episodes. We're going to do one today, one next week. Uh, we'll catch up to that that calendar. So this week's episode is episode 26, and uh, we have some topics that Travis has been wanting to talk about for a while, and we have uh, some... Probably just a little bit of commentary on, this is actually really good timing, on uh, MTGO's 15th anniversary. Um, and there's some some event information that has come out online just today, so we're going to talk about that a, a small amount. Um, Mr. Sowers also had a PTQ Top 8, spoiler alert, in Standard. We'll go over his experience there. We'll talk about uh, flattening power level and cards uh, from a limited perspective, mostly. Um, what it used to be playable, what is and what is not playable anymore. Um, and then uh, talk about gold cards. This is a topic, I don't remember who mentioned it, that it would be a good topic, but we're going to talk about gold cards from a limited perspective. Um, in particular, you know, when do you pick them, when you focus on them, and 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 how do you try to splash them in sealed, or, or how do they drive you into those colors in sealed. So, uh, But first, I do want to talk about MTGO's 15-year anniversary. So it was announced on Twitter today that there is a week worth of events um for magic online's i can't believe it's been 15 years that's kind of crazy it's been a long time i've been there for all 15 years of it man that's insane you know i was thinking back to the uh one of the old old interfaces where i played like a a trial version of it and i remember very like distinctly uh the uh a waiting area with with all sorts of avatars and tables yeah and sitting down at a table and playing with like a a trial like 40 card learn to play deck um, and it was, it was very cool. And, and, and I, I can't for the life of me remember how long I played for or why I stopped playing. Um, but I don't remember we had dial up at the time, so I probably didn't have a lot of internet time to, to spend on it. Um, and it was, it was really cool. So I'm very glad that I get to play, um, play now and kind of catch up for lost time. So they, they announced some, some events today. There's uh, two that, that really kind of catch my eye. One is the, uh, the battle of the planes. This so, is so uh, this cool. is a, this is a sealed, a phantom sealed event in which you pick one of five planes mm-hmm. dominaria innistrad mirrodin ravnica and zendikar and you get a booster from kind of a bunch of different sets specific to that plane uh six boosters build your deck in battle um and it's typical phantom prizing and payouts looks like it's swiss um what do you think of that i'm excited i'm excited i love these little silly events like it's it's not really a competitive event it's more something to do for fun the prize payouts are relatively flat it, it looks like you could break even with a couple wins with these things, but it, yeah. at, at 10 bucks, you're not spending a lot to get in. I, I at least want to do an Innistrad and a Ravnica one. I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'll play through all five, but I, I could probably be talked into that too. It, it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a lot of fun. So given that it's phantom, you don't have to worry about 
picking up any any packs based on the dollar value of the packs. So if I'm looking at power level, like Mirrodin kind of looks looks like it might be an interesting uh, set to pick from. Uh, Mirrodin, Darksteel, Fifth Dawn, and then Scars, Besieged, and New Phyrexia. Um, I, I thought about that, but you know, one of the problems in Scars of Mirrodin Sealed was it was difficult to put together an Infect deck because so many of the creatures were built around Infect. So like, you're going to have some powerful cards in Mirrodin and you'll even have some synergies between sets because I imagine Affinity and Metalcraft work quite well together, but you're also going to have a lot of Infect cards. And I, I kind of wonder how they're going to play with the rest of it. Um, I wonder. So I think the Mirrodin would be the gambler's choice. Open well and have a busted deck. Open inconsistently and you've got a deck that's, you know, four poison creatures that just kind of don't do much. They can't attack through. Uh, the Skull Clamp's not bland, not banned in uh, sealed, right? So <laughs> Correct. Um, and Zendikar looks like it would be fun too. Um, just from uh, how enjoyable I think the... BFZ was. Um, I don't know how well it'll play across multiple like old formats, but uh, the landfall seems like like that might be something cool. But um, it's tough to say. I don't know much about onslaught and time spiral kind of eras, but um, Innistrad would be cool too. Man, it's all it's all cool. It's I'm gonna have to pick one or two and, and just, play it. Yeah, just pick your favorite plane and jump in. All right, or jump out, or jump out. Your planeswalker, you can do that. Um, and then the other event that that really catches my eye is they are for a week boosting the prize payouts for draft leagues and constructed leagues. So not sealed leagues, it looks like. Um, but they are adding for most prize payouts for draft leagues, they're adding an additional booster, meaning in a six two 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 event, instead of winning two packs for your two, you can win three packs, essentially breaking even. Uh, coming pretty close to breaking even, and you get one extra booster for the uh, for the six for winning for three owing. Um, competitive league adds two additional boosters to the prizes, uh, both for three wins and two wins, and then for the constructed leagues, they add an additional treasure chest to basically anything that pays out three wins or better. It looks like mm-hmm. so not a not a ton of value but enough that kind of pushes that expected value of these events up to very easy to break even on a lot of these things they've added essentially uh between three and six dollars prizing worth of product to each one which is certainly not a bad thing the the grumpy old man in me wants to say why not just leave it that way but i mean if you continue to like grump about things like that then you get to this is why we can't have nice things um so i'm i'm excited about it it would have been nice if sealed had been included. I play a lot of sealed, but basically what that means is I can t- continue to play sealed this week and then get excited and have a real compelling reason to go do some drafts and some constructed the week after. So I, this is a great thing too. So let's, let's give props to Watsy when they do cool things. This is a cool thing. Thank you, wizards. Yes. Thank you, wizards. And that looks like there's a vintage cube as well. I don't know. No, that's the June 21st. There's a lot of stuff coming up on magic online. Everybody loves cube except me. Um, you need to try uh, cube. Why don't you like cube? No, I I've pl- I play it once in a while. I just don't usually put a lot of effort into it. Um, so just I just rather play the format du jour. I think. Um, yeah, and I would too. Generally speaking, I like to play more competitive formats. But I look at cube as like I don't want to jam it all day, regardless of which cube it is. But like one a day when you're streaming every day is actually kind of fun. Just as a little break, and let's do something cool or neat. There you go. 
yeah, I probably will play one or two. We'll see. I'm sure that people will come on my stream and throw bits at me and say, ah, dance monkey, play cube, dance monkey. And I'll say, yeah, thanks for the bits. I'm not going to play cube. I'm certainly going to come say that now. All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. So looking forward to that. And that starts on, looks like the events kind of start on the 21st of June. Uh, if I'm reading that correctly. I was understanding the, the, it was the 14th through the 21st. The Battle of the Plains starts on the on June 14th, and the extra prizes looks like they start on June 21st. Oh, okay. So 14th and 21st. Far. So we have two weeks of oh. celebration, which is kind of great. So Sweet. Let's get to celebrate good. good times. Come on. All right. So that's that on the updates on the Magic Online front. Um, shall we just dive in? Tell us about your uh, your standard ptq and how that went for those that don't watch travis's stream frequently he's um always jamming away at the pptqs and uh maybe you can tell us why you switched to standard and and how that went for you well i had been kind of dipping my toe into standard and we talked about that some on the last episode um after the pro tour i streamed a couple of the decks that were viable there uh shaheen zarani took a deck to gp montreal and did well with it and i tried that out even did a video set with it for mana deprived and eventually came to the determination that Marvel was probably just the best deck in standard. Um, like there's different flavors of it and there's certainly things that can beat it. So it, it's not quite as oppressive as, as like, I don't know, call blade in the past or like smugglers copter was just a four of in so many different decks or, you know, Marvel when it had Imrakul or copycat, I, I get it. And I'm not really here to debate about whether or not Marvel should be banned. I, I don't really have much of an opinion on that. Whenever I play a format that's not limited, I just want to play whatever the best deck is. So I I settled on that. And really the reason I got into it was at GP Richmond, um, I made day two and I could see the path that led to me winning the thing. And I didn't work out, but it was a good feeling. And I was like, if I want that feeling more often, I really need to play in all the competitive events and not just half of this game. So I, I got into playing standard. I practiced with Marvel for a week. Um, was really, really excited going into the PTQ and then booted up uh, Saturday morning for the stream. It's seven rounds. You got a six and one to win and promptly lost round one. Like got Oops. rolled over by Mardu vehicles. And I was like, the, the the version of Marvel that I had built, I even changed some cards. I made my own deck. Not many, but some. Um, I was like, oh man, I got to win six in a row here. There's no way I can do that. And then I remembered a conversation I had with Kelsey after one of my, it was actually one of the limited PTQs I top aided where I came down disappointed that I'd lost early. And she's like, it doesn't matter when you lose the in record is all that matters. So I just played the best I could for six rounds. I won all six of them. It's like, all right, here we go. Another top eight. Let's do this. I, I lost the next round. Um, and it, it was a little bit variance wise. Like I won the first game. In the second game, um, my opponent brought in Dispossess against me, which is usually not very good against Marvel. The only way it's good is if they have a Marvel in hand when they name it. I had three. So they managed in hand and was about to play them all. Not all of them. I was about to play one next turn and get a spin and it would have been good. But when they three for one me with that, I was like, eh. And then I I don't remember the exact details of the third game. Oh, I I do remember. They had a long tusk cub and multiple uh, constrictors out. So it got me in a position where I had to to chump block the cub every turn and could just never really get a board state going. That said, the the constructed PPTQs or PTQs were a great experience. And now that they've removed the necessity to qualify for them, 
I plan on playing in many more. I've actually been jamming modern on the stream today and we'll be doing so some more over the next week or so uh, because the next uh, constructed PTQ is modern. Um, so unless Death Shadow is banned between now and then, I'll be playing that. But it, it was a great experience. Looking forward to more. I've top eighted five PTQs now. So I think I need to top eight three more and I'll have won one. That's how that works, right? That's how math works, right? So yeah, because your conversion rate, your expected conversion rate is one out of eight, I would say. Maybe yeah. a little better for you because of your skill level, but certainly one out of eight, I would say. The the best part about it, honestly, um, when... Uh, What's the best way to tell the story? When I top aided my first um, PPTQ, like when I top aided the first one, I was just dumbstruck. I didn't even know what the heck I was doing. When I top aided one, la one last year, I re remember running downstairs to tell Kelsey I was so excited. And she said she could hear me, you know, hopping down the stairs. <laughs> with this one, after I top aided, I came downstairs and had a brief conversation with her, you know, fixed myself a snack, got another cup of coffee. And she's like, so how many more rounds till you make the top eight? I was like, oh, that's it. I'm in the top eight. I'm going to go get started on that now. Like, <laughs> it, and I, I recognize, I didn't recognize it until then, but like, I wasn't excited about making the top eight anymore. That's not what did it. It was like, okay, now I've done the thing. I got to win it. So I was actually a lot calmer playing that than I had been at any other point when I top eight it. Cause it's like, it's, it's kind of not a big deal anymore. Yep. So I, I, I think it's just a matter of time till I get there, man. I agree. That parallels me when I used to play poker, um, sit down for my first big tournament in Vegas, like and big for me was like a $300 buy-in or $200 buy-in or something like that. So nervous, like, oh, I shouldn't be here. What am I doing here? And then, you know, you get to the final table of one of those bigger ones and you're like, oh, like, you know, this is exciting. And now, and then you do it again and you're like, eh, it's like, I got to win the thing. Like I've been here before. It doesn't matter. Or it's old hat by now. So I fully appreciate that. And it's really cool to watch you. Um, it's a completely different stream. So normally you're, you're communicating with the chat and you're seeing plays that they're suggesting. And, and then when you turn on the, the PTQ mode, uh, you know, hand hider and, and, um, not talking to chat, not reading chat. It's, it's a really cool interaction. Um, cause chat gets to interact amongst ourselves and we come back and discuss after, uh, the match with you, but you know, we're completely left to our own devices and, and you're on your own kind of out there. And it's like, it's like, we're watching you on TV instead of watching you on stream. And it's really cool. So I do look forward to the day, uh, in which you uh, bring me along to PT Hawaii and uh, and I'm your coach and I get to watch from the TV kind of back in that uh, <laughs> viewing area, uh, ready to go with the towel or the or the water bottle when you're uh, when you need it between rounds. So I look forward to that. That's going to be awesome. Safeway brand Diet Coke. Safeway brand Diet Coke. I'll bring a bag All right. of Diet Coke for you. So, yeah, no, that was really cool. And uh, if anybody out there wants to watch like that high level competitive magic, um, watch the video on demand of, of Travis's stream or, or catch him on this on it's usually on Saturdays, right? Sometimes Sundays. But mm -hmm. I mean, you're always qualified for them. And now that the like you said, the constructed ones are open, um, which is interesting. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what that does to the attendance. But um, I mean, you're gonna be playing them basically every weekend from here on out. So, yeah, if they have one that weekend, I'm in it. Outstanding. So. All right, um, man, we're we're chugging like a right along here. It's like we never even took a break. So, what topic that that you've wanted to talk about for a while now is the flattening power level, specifically to limited. Um, so, what makes you want to talk about that? And what, I guess what we mean by flattening power level is is sets now compared to sets in the past, the 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 kind of the disparity between the top and the bottom cards used it to be so much higher, right? That's, that's where we're going with this. Specifically commons mm -hmm. 
is what I want to talk about is the, the power level in cards used to range a lot more in commons than it does now. And I think that that has a lot of implications, but first, if, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to give you some illustrations thereof. So Dave, may I read you a card? Absolutely. You tell me if this is what rarity you would think this would appear at now. <laughs> Caravex Torch. X red sorcery. As long as Caravex Torch is on the stack, spells that target it cost two more to cast. Caravex Torch deals X damage to target creature or player. Now? Yeah. That sounds like a rare to me. That's like a Battle at the Bridge type card. Okay. That was a common in Mirage. That's insane. This one's a little bit more difficult to grok, but bear with me. Okay. Ray of Command, three and a blue, instant. Untap target creature and opponent controls. Gain control of it until end of turn. That creature gains haste. When you lose control of the creature, tap it. Uh, we saw that recently. What set was it? That was um, it was the instant speed threaten, right? What set was that? That was just recently. Was that an uncommon or a common? We had it in uncommon in Scar's block. I don't remember where the other one was, but it, it, it was like stapled to a creature. But yeah, it's, it's still their dude when they attack, you know, eat two of their dudes. Yeah, it was in, in battle. It was in battle. Battle for Zendikar, right? Mm-hmm. There was one of these mm-hmm. in battle. Yeah. The, but I mean, was, like un- uncommon, probably not, not definitely not a rare, but certainly an uncommon. This was a common in Mirage. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to go through one more to kind of make my point, And it's probably a card you've heard of before. Incinerate, one in a red, deals three damage to target creature or player. Creatures damage this way cannot regenerate. Uh, I mean, Trial of Zeal is an uncommon. So probably an uncommon. Cut to ribbons. Cut is a, is a rare. So somewhere between rare and uncommon. If okay. it was today. And now we'll take a look just at the other side. Fire breathing. Red for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus zero. That's a common these days, yeah. right? We, we wouldn't have this these days is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah, okay. We had like Dragon Mantle and Theros, which did this, and you got to draw a card. Like they stapled draw a card to it, and we were like, well, I guess it's playable. Nobody likes enchantments anymore. That's why. Yeah. It, I mean, they were bad then. They were just bad then. Chaos Charm. This is a modal card, so you can do a lot with this. Uh, you can choose one of the following three. Destroy target wall. FYI, there weren't many walls in the set that people would play. One damage to target creature. Target creature gains haste until end of turn. That seems like a really bad card. It was, and it is. And like I can continue to go through this list and find a lot of them. Um, Bay Falcon, one in a blue for a 1-1 flying vigilance. That's kind of gross, too. Like, we didn't... When did we ever play flying one ones for one? We don't even play one ones for one, not one ones for two. We don't at all, which is which is yeah. what I'm getting at. So like there's a wide range of commons in older sets. You'll have stuff that's like, why isn't that a rare? And then you'll have stuff that's just unplayable. Now, these days, you don't actually have that anymore. Like what's an unplayable? Give me an air quotes unplayable card from M and Cat. That's interesting. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I don't remember who. And um, I, I have I have trouble coming up with an unplayable card, a card in limited from Amon Cat. That is in like there are rares that are unplayable, but like at uncommon or, or common, 
maybe like the blue monument and and even then i could see a place where maybe you play it potentially like there, there's maybe like five ten cards that i would never play never ever play period in Amonkhet. there's a lot that it would be my like 24th or worse card but if i have a train wreck of a draft you know i can still find a spot for them but maybe a couple of monuments you know i'd i i play sacred cat like that's a good card it's a one one for one with lifelink and embalm like the cards like that are, are are fine um even though at first glance it looked like they were terrible the there's only, not many there's not many creatures that i wouldn't play the only cards i put close to that are the luxa river shrine and mm-hmm. maybe trespassers curse although i've seen decks with trespassers curse go off and like even the other stuff it at least cycles like decision paralysis is bad but it's still certainly playable so like what what does this mean and how does this translate into any actual useful information for anybody that's listening? What this means is that people who used to draft a long time ago, if you didn't identify what colors were open, you didn't get a deck. You just didn't get to play magic. You would have a deck with a bunch of those charms that don't do anything and one, one flyers for two, which were not good then, right? There's probably still not good now. So you just have a deck of awful cards and get crushed. That was not a good feeling for new players. And it it was a good feeling for enfranchised people who knew how to draft, right? Like you could figure out, okay, somebody passed me an incinerate third pick. Red is really, really open. I'm going to go in on red because like that was a, a first pick quality card. And there were a lot of commons that you would first pick. Whereas these days, like in a pack of M and Ket, there's commons I'll first pick, but I'm kind of hoping for a rare and uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think that they've made that shift, A, because it's exciting to open a cool rare and get to play with it. And B, there are people who open a cool rare and say, well, I got I opened a Gideon, we're going to be white. You can actually do that. You can force a deck. It won't be quite as good as if you drafted what was open, but you can force a white deck because you opened a white bomb and have playable cards. And that's a better feeling for somebody that's not as good as at draft to come in I think arguably their deck would be better if they read the signals and kind of, you know, weaved and dodged correctly, but it's something they can do. So I think that's led to us seeing more and more kind of rare and uncommon driven formats where like even the, you know, two mana, three damage spells. Now you mentioned trial of zeal. We had another one. I, I don't remember the name of it now because I haven't been drafting it for a while in Eldritch Moon, but it was two mana for that style of effect. So I think we're moving more and more to where those common, uh, excuse me, rares and uncommons are more important. So I just kind of wanted to note that that was a trend. It's not that the removal's gotten worse. It's that the variation in power level between commons has flattened. So now instead of, of spikes and super powerful commons, they're kind of all close. And like people will argue about what's the best common in a set, but there's not that wide a gulf between the best common and an okay common. Whereas Carapex Torch was just busted. It was so much, and Ray of Command were so much better than just about most of the rares in the set, right? Like that, that doesn't even make sense to, from a, a modern perspective. Um, but it's changed the way that draft works. I would still encourage people as you're drafting to try to figure out what's open, pay attention to that and go into those colors because it will make your deck overall better. Uh, but it, it, it's not as crucial as it used to be. Yeah, it feels like to me like, Unless you absolutely train wreck your draft, you 
you, you have like a 40% chance just going in. Like you can win with just the cards that you have. You can win with just a pile of, of creatures and some removal spells. But do you, do you think that maybe, so we've talked about in, in, uh, in Amonkhet about how the removal feels worse, or at least it did. Maybe it doesn't feel like that anymore because we've come around on magma spray and, and, um, and, and maybe like impeccable timing and things like that because aggro is, was prevalent is kind of still prevalent. Um, but like we used to say that like the ag or the, the removal just felt so bad in this set. Is it just because the creatures are so much better? I think the answer is yes. I think there's the same amount of removal in this set and probably the same quality of removal for the most part in this set as there was in Kaladesh, you know, even the situational removal, like, you know, there was artifact removal in Kaladesh that was main deckable. So is it just because that you can get a three, two vigilance for three that, that has flashback and and that is like an average card in the set for when it comes to creatures in white or at least common creatures. Is that the reason why removal sucks or what the, our perception of removal sucks? Well, part of it, we're going to go a little bit meta here. And I think it's one of the reasons that we've had some bannings in standard recently is that Wizards has tried to move the game in a direction where it involves creature combat more so than anything else. So we don't see new mechanics similar to Storm being printed in that push, they have, generally speaking, made creatures better and answers worse. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, right? Like we used to be playing Hill Giants versus Lightning Bolt. And we've shifted to where we're playing, you know, Gust Walkers versus um, Final Reward. A whole different spectrum to be looking at. And whether you enjoyed one one style of play more than the other isn't really relevant. Like you can go draft flashbacks if that's all you want to do. But for modern limited, we have to adapt. But like most of what's been getting banned is, is creatures, not spells. So kind of part of that push was to make better and better creatures so that people can play with their creatures. I can remember like, it, it doesn't get me anymore, but I can remember in the very early days playing magic with my friends when they counterspelled my Lord of the pit Oh God, that felt so bad. It felt so bad. But when they fireballed it, it was fine. And it was essentially the same thing, right? Yeah. So like counter spells have been nerfed for some of that feel bad. And I think to an extent, some of the removal has been nerfed for some of that feel bad. So that when, you know, Timmy resolves his big, cool demon, they can't just, you know, one mana kill it and then kill Timmy the next turn. So like, I, I get it and I get that that's their design philosophy. And I, I'm certainly not opposed to it. But I, I would again argue that things have just gotten a little flatter. The the mm -hmm. gulf between how good the best common in is and how bad the worst common is 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 not as wide as it used to be. Mm -hmm. You still do see bomb uncommons, uh, mythic uncommons, and and kind of the bomb commons as well uh, occasionally in sets. They're certainly not nearly as frequent. Um, you don't I you would don't say. see anything like those cards I mentioned from Mirage. Mm. There have been a few, I would say, Name you know, one. like in, in, in Kaladesh, like the, um, on, or sorry, in, uh, Aether Revolt, the Untethered Express, it's probably a really good example of that in, uh, the cons block. What was the, the bolster guy? What was the, um, whenever creatures you had that had a plus one, plus one counter on it attacked, you tapped target creature. Yeah. Do you remember I, that one? I, I do. I do. I, I would argue that the Untethered Express wasn't quite as busted as, say, Ray of Command or Carabag's Torch, because it lived in a format where two colors were main decking artifact removal for it. Okay. Now, it, sure. did, it did demand an answer immediately, but there were solid answers for it. Whereas Ray of Command, there was just nothing you could do about it. 
Like, mm-hmm. remember how good it felt to resolve the red one in BFZ that costs an extra mana and get yeah, them felt- with it? Like yeah, this was turn against. Che- turn against. That was the card. This was yeah. a cheaper one at common in blue. It's a weird card. It was a weird card. It's a very good card. But like, I, I, you're not wrong. But again, we're, we're comparing an uncommon and untethered express to a common in Caravex Torch. That's true. That's true. They, they do live at uncommon more frequently now than, than common for sure. Um, but occasionally you'll find one. And we thought it was going to be that way with um, in this set with Decimator Beater. We, we were a little wrong on that one, I would say. I don't think it's as powerful, um, mostly because it may be the speed of the format. Um, I think but it you is. Can, I mean, but it's but it's not as good as like Untethered Express was, or if you go back further, what was that card? Something Sentinel in in Fate Reforged or something like that. Do you remember the one that I'm talking about? Oh, it's like a four six four, for six, six mana. Taps their dude with vigilance. Yeah, it was in Origins. It was in Origins. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, yep. and there was and there was there was a Mythic Uncommon in um in Fate Reforged. I think that had Bolster that was um that was also very good. That was just like you just Fate Reforged was a land time. of bombs too, right? Like that's, that's true, what it right? was. I don't think that this format is particularly fast. I think that you need to either be a fast deck or be able to handle a fast deck. Yeah. So it reminds me of Gatecrash, right? Like Demir was playable. It wasn't very aggressive, but you you needed to be able to survive long enough to do your cool stuff. Yeah. Um, can we talk about one of my pet peeves? And I kind of ranted about it on your stream the other day. Yeah, come on in. So the definition of, of, of unplayable has shifted. So it used to be back in your day that it was it, a card was unplayable, like destroy target wall was unplayable. Yep. When, even with two other modes on it that didn't do anything, you could not play that card. Um, these days now, there's a bit of hyperbole around the, the definition of unplayable or like this card is just better than this other card. Hands down, you there's no argument on it. It used to be that it was like the card that was unplayable was zero percent playable. And I think nowadays, outside of maybe 10 cards in a set, there are no 0% unplayables. And it kind of bothers me when somebody will say, okay, you know, you have, I don't know what's, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on anybody. So I don't want to give like a real life example from a conversation we had, but you have like, what's a good example? I don't even know off the top of my head, like average red creature versus average red creature, right? Both go fine in your deck. And somebody comes in and says, well, this one is unplayable or this one is like 100% better and this one is unplayable when maybe the difference between them is like five, 10 percentage points. Like if if, Entangler and Pathmaker Initiate are the example you're looking for. Okay, sure. Right. So like, you know, most people, depending on the deck, would probably take like I would probably take the two one that turns into a three. So the the red crop or the. Nefcrop. What's it called? Nefcrop and Entangler, right? Mm -hmm. Attacks for three, you know. Uh, attacks through a lot of early creatures, very aggressive card versus a two one that taps and, and gives something basically unblockable. If it's two power or less, mm-hmm. I will play both of those cards. If they're both in the same pack, I'll probably pick the, the entangler. But if somebody comes up to me and says, you have to hundred percent pick the entangler, I'll tell them, well, it's not a hundred percent. I would play this other card. It's not unplayable. And if I was in red and this, the entangler wasn't in the pack, I would probably play the initiate and be okay with it. It's not like a hundred to zero. It's like fifty-five to forty-five or sixty to forty. And I think, I think that gap, when people say unplayable, I don't think they're being true to the actual quality of the card, and they're just being hyperbolic and saying that my opinion is right and yours is one hundred percent wrong. When I think the definition of right and wrong when it comes to these cards is a, is a spectrum, not like a light switch. I I could not agree more. I I think there's 
a a lot of conversation to be had in discussing the differences between two cards like that. And and it really bugs me when somebody says this is an easy X or this is X and it's not close. Like you you may be right about the pick, but let's have a conversation, right? Yeah. Like if my deck has um, three of the Minotaurs that I can pump for red mana, and I'm also playing some Dune Beetles and looking to be a little more controlling, all of a sudden I'm way more interested in that Pathmaker Initiate. That's now going to be an early blocker slash attacker as well as a finisher for me. So like mm-hmm. there's situations where I would want to take that over the Entangler. They're not going to come up that often, but the difference between the cards isn't really that much. It's mostly a 2-1 that's going to attack for a little bit and then get in some extra damage later after it's outlived its usefulness. That's what both of the cards do. You know, yeah. and like there's there's a million examples of this that you can look through and, and see during every format. But it again, because things have flattened so much, people are used to if they've been playing a long time or they watch or listen to people that have been playing a long time, that language is still kind of there. X card is garbage. X card is unplayable. And it like that's that's just not true anymore. Like there's room for all these cards and there's reasonable discussions about the differences between them. And I think you can learn a lot more about magic and become a better player by engaging in those discussions and just, instead of just kind of shutting them off. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's an excellent yeah. beef to have. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, reasons, not excuses is something that I also want to try to like facilitate. I think in these conversations, so don't give me an ex- like don't give me an excuse to not or to pick one card over the other. Give me a reason to pick one card over the other. So approach it from a positive instead of a negative. So instead of saying this card sucks, don't pick it. You should be saying I think you should pick this card because it's better for these reasons. Um, and I think that facilitates a better conversation. Again, you're not. We've talked about this before, but you're not coming off as argumentative or combat- combative that way. And we're looking to have a discussion. But you know, somebody comes in and says you should take this, and it's like, well, why? Or you should yeah. take this line and it's like, well, why? Because I'm more interested in the why than the instructing me what to do. So I learn a lot better that way. And I like to have that conversation. And, you know, so does you might everybody. Be right. Well, most people, right? Well, not, not everybody's interested in learning, but everybody learns better by having a conversation than yes. by having somebody who may or may not be right. Tell them this is the correct answer. Like I, I, probably, I got in, I got in a little bit of trouble in a history class moons and moons ago when I was in high school, because the teacher had us write down the wars that America had been in, in order. And I wrote them in the correct order and the teacher wrote them in the wrong order. And I, I went straight to the principal and was like, I, I should not have flunked this test. I was correct. The teacher was wrong. And that was true. The teacher was wrong. Like if if I hadn't known that or argued about it, then not only would, you know, I have not known the correct order of that list, which is completely irrelevant now, but the rest of the class would too, right? So like sometimes the people who are supposed to be telling you what to do don't know what the heck they're talking about. It's a true story. Got to think critically. Yeah. Use your brain, man. It's up there for a reason. Use your brain. But that's, that's, that's a good kind of just conversation to have around the power level because a lot of things are close. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe this is a challenge for people that listen and people are on, that are on Twitter, like name 10 unplayables, stone unplayables in this format. And I think you will find it difficult after about seven or eight. Yeah, it, especially I mean, if you're focused on commons. Rares aside, forget the rares because there's always unplayable rares. Like there's always standard plans for rares that are bad um, and limited. But like strictly from an uncommon and common perspective, I think it's very difficult to find unplayables these days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you, are you good? You're, you're, you're done off of like, have you gotten that off of your chest? Are you happy with that? 
getting that out there? Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to kind of get on my soapbox a little bit there because like I first picked a bomb black common and then forced all of these black cards and look at how good my draft deck is. Doesn't really mean anything. Like I, I still think the the best draft is the one where you figure out what's open and pack three, you're getting a fifth pick. I can't believe it. Oh my God. Not, well, I guess this is playable. Like if you're in a position in pack three where you're like, uh, there's not much here for us. I guess I'll take this for my sideboard. You probably didn't draft all that well. So like pay attention to that stuff. It matters. And drafting well will still give you that, those small edges of, you know, my deck is better than my opponent's deck by some percentage points. It's just that those percentage points are going to be smaller. The gap is going to be smaller between a ham sandwich, a pile of random creatures versus the best deck you could draft in your seat that gap is much closer. Um, so you're going to have to rely on your skill, but I mean, take those edges where you can get them. Like you're always, this is a game of edges. This is a game of percentage points. Um, make your deck as best, the best that it can be. Just be aware that it's not as good as it might've been in like, I don't know, onslaught time spiral. Whenever they started doing really good draft formats and they were still not in the new world order of thinking when it comes to designing magic sets. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good conversation. I'm glad we, glad we got that out. That's, um, I take for granted that like I started in again in Ravnica um, return to Ravnica. So I take for granted that I've always been as part of part of this new world order. Mm-hmm. Um, what they, what they refer to what refers to as the new world order of, of set design. So um, magic for me, it has continued to trend in this direction, but it had already been in that direction for quite a while. I think when I got back into it, so it's good to have that perspective, which will help me out if, I go back and and do one of these phantom uh, plane drafts or plane uh, sealed or whatever for the celebration. So we will, uh, I'll remember that and I'll go play onslaught and and play some powerful commons and uncommons. Well, I I mean, I think it's worth remembering too, because like, even if you draft a deck and it's like you forced a deck and you win, it still doesn't mean you got the best deck you could have because Mm -hmm. the, the deck that you could have drafted if you drafted the open colors may have been even better. So like the fact that you won or didn't win doesn't necessarily matter when, cause like there's a, there's correct decisions to be made in the draft. And then afterwards you go play the games, right? And if you've made more correct decisions in the draft, you've got more of an opportunity to win the games. So that that's all I'm arguing is, is don't let, I got a playable deck be an excuse. You should have the best deck. The person sitting at your seat could have possibly had, and you rarely get that by forcing. That is also true. Um, kind of a so for for Amonkhet here. Have you noticed that like the signals seem really weird early in packs? Have you like? And I'm wondering, thinking about this, I wonder if that's related to the the flattening or the flat power level that is in Kaladesh. Like, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of tiers of card. I guess when it comes to the quality of the card, and I will get like a fifth pick electrify and think to myself wow this is amazing but then like i don't know like it's kind of hard to explain but i i feel like my first like five picks or like picks like three to seven or something like that the the signals are just all over the place and i'm wondering if that's because we're seeing all of these like the other first pickable cards but there's a lot of first pickable cards where there's a lot of like first and second pickable cards so i see a second pick card fifth and i'm like oh man like i can't believe nobody picked this second third or fourth I'm going to take it when in reality they were taking cards that were very close to that second, third and fourth, and then passing me an electrify fifth. And it wasn't really open. Like somebody just valued a different red card a little bit higher because they're so close. 
I, I think what we're seeing, and I've, I've actually done enough drafts this week to be able to, to speak intelligently to this. I, I've gotten in the habit a long time ago, and it, it's a good habit to get in. Take the best card out of the first five packs and do not think this plays well with my X. Just you don't have an X. The only thing I actually put in the deck pile are colorless cards. If I first pick an Edifice of Authority, cool, I'll put that in there. Next pack, I pick a Trial of Zeal. It doesn't go under that in my converted mana cost. It goes straight to the sideboard. And that has no bearing on my next pick. Once you're on pack five, that's where you start to see signals. And that's where some people have been like, well, I took that Trial of Zeal, so I'll take this Nefcrop Entangler over this white card that's that's a little better. And then they see a black card that's pretty good, and they're like, well, you know, I, I guess I'll take this um, Brute Strength because I'm already in red. Or maybe it's not quite that much. I, I guess I should be looking at, at commons to make statements like that. But I'll take this Electrify. That seems reasonable over this final reward. And then it, it's it's finally towards the end where you're like, oh, man, I should have been green-blue the whole time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just take the best card out of the first five packs, by pack six, that's when you can actually recognize, hey, this is way strong. This is the best card in the pack. Just take it and put it in your deck and start there. So I, I think that the drafts in this format, and again, in my opinion, in most of them, actually the skill kicks in around pick six. That's where you need to shift gears or just take a thing. And I've been able to help myself do that by just putting most of my picks straight in the sideboard and kind of ignoring them until after pick six. Hmm. I might have to try that because I've been finding that my pick five, pick six, there's like, I don't know what to take. I think it's like, well, all these cards suck when in reality, they don't all suck. It's just that we're on that second tier and maybe that second tier, that third tier is not um, like they're all pretty close to being the same and they're all playable still. I don't know, man. It's weird. I'm I'm in a bit of a funk in this format, so I think I got to figure that out. I I would encourage you to break it this way and it's going to be hard and understand that it's an experiment going in and you're just going to test something for the first five picks. Pretend it's a pack one, pick one. Mm -hmm. You don't have any other cards. It's just what's the best card here. Do that for five picks then look at them and evaluate on the sixth pick. I like that. I will try that unless I open a glory bringer, in which case I'm forcing red. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you can do that now because the, the commons are so flat, you'll get playables. It'll be fine. Exactly. See, actually we've just come full circle. Now we're encouraging forcing because, totally the, because you, you can do. play, because you can play color, like you can play everything in a color. So yeah, that's totally know. what you should do. It's, it's, it's such a weird pack one format for me, for me anyway. I think it's just the fact that I don't have it figured out yet. This is I'm I'm in my like every other block uh <laughs> lull where my my win rate is like ridiculous and then really bad and then ridiculous and then really bad and it averages out to be just okay. Um but like Is it the aggressive formats you have trouble in? It might actually be. I think it is. I don't know. Was was uh Oath of the Gatewatch aggressive? Yeah. Was it? Maybe it's maybe it's the aggressive formats that I'm terrible in. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should have counseling time with travis where he counsels me on or, or uh you know he, like a psychologist counseling session <laughs> um where where i tell you my problems and you tell me well have you considered just playing better oh man have you considered just maybe drafting aggro that makes so much sense you're a genius well it it's it, it when there's an aggressive deck in a format that's very good like not every deck in this format is very good but the aggressive the excuse me not every deck in this format is aggressive but the aggressive decks are very good and very curve dependent 
And when that's the case, it means you can still draft dirtily control decks if you want to. They just still have to have a bunch of two and three drop creatures. Mm -hmm. It's also a format where blocking isn't particularly great. So you need to pick up things to just kill stuff. So your magma sprays, your impeccable timings, anything cheap that can kill something that's killing you is a big deal. Bounce got better. We're looking a little bit like Theros with all these cartouches running around. So like cards that I normally wouldn't value very highly, if I'm trying to do green-blue ramp, I'm going to want a couple of the the bounce spells in there because I, I just need to slow them down or get rid of their cartouches or enchantments or bounce their tokens. And like as long as you keep stuff like that in mind, you can you can draft whatever you want. You just need to be doing things besides cycling cards on turn two and three. You might be onto something with that aggressive, though. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm just terrible at the aggressive formats because all I draft are uh, mid-range decks that don't do anything till turn four. We can fix that. We can fix that. We can fix that. We, we can did have that. a 3-0 when you and I drafted on stream. That's true, but you did the draft and I made the decisions in the gameplay. Yeah, between the two of us, we've got a really good limited player. That's true. Do you think I can get an earpiece? Like, you can get an earpiece with me... At the Pro Tour? <laughs> yes, that's my they, plan. They probably allow that, right? I'm sure. Okay. Because to, like, together, I believe, like, like if you're 95% of a pro player, I could probably get you up to, like, 96% of a pro player. I could believe that you're 1% of a pro player, sure. I would say so. All right. Shall we carry on with our limited discussion and uh, and gold cards? Yeah, let's go for the gold. Okay. Do you remember who brought this topic up? Because I would like to give them credit for it. I don't, unless I wrote it down. Um, it was one of my stream viewers. So shout was out. It Ro- was it Roboville? Roboville. That's exactly who it was. It was Rob. I wrote, it was Rob. I wrote that down. Roboville. <laughs> yes. So uh, he suggested that we talk about um, first pickable gold cards in particular, I believe. But I think we can talk about gold cards in general and... I think we can talk about it, well, from a sealed perspective, obviously, from 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 your expertise, but even just in a draft format, um, I think there's different phases in the draft in which you want to be looking at the gold cards in different ways. And, um, you know, I, I kind of just threw together this this thought a few minutes before we started the podcast. So I want to get your take on that, I think. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start sealed or draft? Well, I, I don't think it matters so much in sealed as far as the gold cards go, because you've got your entire pool there, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You can evaluate, do I need to go in, like, do I want to splash this? Like, it'll be covered some in the can I splash a discussion we have in draft. But, like, yes. there's there's really no thought because you're not valuing it over something else. You either have it or you don't, and it either fits in or it doesn't. So I, I think draft is actually where this gets interesting. Like, which of these are worth, and, and we can narrow it in on M and Cat for this, but which of these are worth first picking because they're so powerful? Which of these do you want to see late? And which of them are you like, all right, we're just going to splash it because this is so good. Yeah. So I think it depends on what pack you're in. So in pack one, you're evaluating, you know, if 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 I take the risk of taking this card, like what is the risk that it just ends up in the sideboard? Because I don't end up in these two colors exactly, or I don't end up with fixing to play it on the splash. So I think when you're looking at a gold card first pick, um, or early in pack one, I should say, what you're looking at is... What is the upside of this card versus giving up first pick? And, you know, you you always talk about don't get married to your first pick, don't get married to your second pick, third pick. But, I mean, if there is a... a <laughs> you know, consider consider dropping them off before curfew. If if, if, if you're comparing, you know, a, a very good gold card 
and a very good monocolored card, the odds that you will play the monocolored card are significantly better than the gold color card. So there's there's a couple things you want to look for there, I think. is One is you want to look at that gap between the, the best monocolored or, or colorless card in the pack. You know, you, you what, what's that gap between those two cards? And then what are the odds that you think you can splash that that card, like the gold card, if you were playing, you know, let, let's say it's green-black and you were playing green. What do you think the odds are that you can splash it if you're playing, um, you know, green-blue, let's say. So Decimator Beetle is a really good example of that. Let's say it's Decimator Beetle versus like an Electrify and you're like, wow, like Electrify is really good in red. It's good removal. Removal's kind of at a you know, premium sometimes. Red is a good aggressive color. I kind of like that pick. And there's like Decimator Beetle. And you're like, oh man, I love this Decimator Beetle. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a really good card if I can make it to turn five. You know, red or uh, blue or sorry, black green is a, is a solid color combo if I think it's open. Is it, is it enough better that if you end up green, blue, you know, and you can get the fixing for it. So what is my fixing options? Well, I've got Evolving Wilds, Painted Bluff Sucks, Gift of Paradise or whatever it's called. It's not a lot of fixing. So it's like, if you think you're like, if you pick it and you don't end up green, black, and you think it's like 5%, you're likely to splash it. Whereas you pick up Electrify and you think maybe there's a 25, 30% chance you'll end up red. I don't know what, how it works. I guess 40% that mm-hmm. you just, you'll just end up red randomly. Like it's, it's almost like expected expected value like we talk about expected value when you go into a draft and it's like well you win 60 percent of the game so if you do the math you end up with like you know 12 tickets in prizing back or something like that on average or whatever it is it's kind of that same thing so it's like if you think you're 40 percent to end up red and you take electrify and your win rate is going to be very good with electrify in your deck and you think it's five percent that you'll play decimator beetle and your win weight win rate is a little bit better than elect than than what What's you would that? have with electrify I think it's more than 5%. It's probably something like 15 to 20. Sure. But whatever you think those numbers are, right? You have to come up with that kind of number and you have to say, is the risk worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? So if you end up getting all that orange juice and you have the best orange juice in your life, was it worth the amount of effort that you put into making that orange juice? Or could you have just gone and bought and store-bought orange juice and probably had some pretty okay orange juice anyway for a lot less effort and a lot less risk, I would say. So ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? So to you then, what is what kind of gold cards are you looking for over a monocolored card? Like they've got to be very good, I think. I, I think so too. I think that there's five that I would pick over Magma Spray as mm-hmm. an example. I, I, I pick Magma Spray a little bit higher than I do Electrify anyway. Um, but let, let's say we're going to compare it to that or like a cartouche of strength or something that's like an unarguably good monocolored um, card. There's some of these that are in contention. The first one for me is destined to lead, which is essentially a gold card because like, if you can only ask activate the black side of it, it's not all that great. It mitigates some of that by, if you end up just being black, you've got kind of a medium combat trick. That's like a little worse than the common black combat trick, but you can still play it. But like the upside on this is it can just win you a game. Um, so I, I have first picked Destined to Lead over mono card, monocolored cards and uh, will likely continue to do so again. Another one for me is Wayward Servant. It's very good in the Zombies deck. It's not quite Magma Spray good for me, but it is beating out some of the other commons. Like I'm probably still going to take a Cartouche. I'm probably still going to take a Magma Spray. But this is one where I might look at it if it gets passed to me and say, what's up, Wayward Servant? Maybe we can do this. 
Honored Crop Captain is absurdly good in the Boros deck. Like, it, it's already just decent stats at a two-mana 3-2, three, two, and it, it only gets better from there. Um, Decimator Beetle is certainly on that list for me. I think the card's very powerful. And then the last one is Start to Finish. Um, again, yes. you, you mitigate some of the danger on Start to Finish because you can just have a crappy Raise the Alarm, right? Like three mm-hmm. mana for two tokens is okay. And maybe you have, you know, a one random black source in the deck and you're like, okay, maybe I can splash this back l- late. Those are kind of the ones for me that I will first pick. I, I don't think I've actually first picked any of the other gold cards in this yeah. set. I don't think I have either. I'm trying to think. No, I don't. I don't think that I have. Um, the thing about the split cards, though, is like like you mentioned, I think those are those are different enough from the gold cards because of the lower risk. So when when you're first picking a, a split card or, or early picking a split card, you're saying you're kind of committing more to the first half than you are the second half, right? But you're so, you're still committing because there's not well, there's not a world in which you're taking supernatural stamina over magma spray. Like you would never look at that first pick and be like, oh, easy <laughs> easy supernatural stamina, not close. Right. And like, that's what destined is. It's just a worse version of that. Sure. But from a, from a, it's less risky from a splashing perspective. And if you end up in a deck where you need a combat trick or you need a removal spell and and you're, and you're short on them, this can work in a pinch. Right. So the risk of taking destined to lead and not being able to play lead, I think is smaller than taking decimator beetle and not being able to play decimator beetle. Because you can, you could potentially still play half of your card, or you could splash, you know, the lead portion at a much lower risk than you could splashing. I think the decimator beetle. I mean, maybe those are close because they're both late game cards, but mm-hmm. maybe more from like a, um, you know, comparing retcot, uh, ret crop champion, the red white one, right, versus a destined to lead, right? Like if you're, it's much harder to splash that the red white, you know, three two. Than oh, yeah, it is to splash destined that. to lead, right? Mm-hmm. So I think 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 you have that we've and we talked about that before in the splashing side of things. It's like, you know, if it's a late game card, it's it's easier to splash. So if, if you take Decimator Beetle and you don't end up black green, but you end up, you know, blue green, you know, and you can maybe just toss a swamp or two in your deck with an evolving wilds, that is much safer because Decimator Beetle is such it can be such a late game card, or Destined to Lead can be such a, a late game card, for example. So um so, so it's interesting in this in this format because the split cards, you know, the, the, the split cards are on another level, I think, of gold cards. Um, but in like your average set, I mean, Ravnica is a bad example because there's really good fixing. But like in Kaladesh block, um, you know, it was probably harder to play a lot of the gold cards. So I think you had to be a little more picky for some of those gold cards. You're looking for the straight up bomb gold cards instead of the, you know, speculative, I want to say like wayward uh, servant type cards, I think in yeah. in Kaladesh, I think were a little harder to play, um, mostly because they weren't they weren't as powerful and there wasn't as much synergy, right? Yeah, it, it was still there. I, I I still think that like I get what you're saying and that the risk is low, but the reward is also really low too if you only get one half of it. So when I mm-hmm. when I first picked Destined to Lead, like what you're saying matters, but I'm picking it with the idea that I get to play both sides. Otherwise, I'd rather just have. Uh, you know compulsory rest yeah i think i think if you first pick a destined to lead like and you're not end up in green black it it does not make the cut a lot of the time but if you end up in a train wreck 
you know, like, like you might have to put it in or you can bring in and out of the board and still play half of the value. Yeah. Um, but like a, like a card like cut to ribbons, though, is a really good example. You just play the cut half. Yeah. Happily. Right. One in a red for four. Right. So like so like that's the first pickable gold card because yeah, I didn't it's, even... it's like it's like picking electrify <laughs> or, I didn't, or magnus spray. Yeah. I didn't even put it in this list because I, I forget that you can flash it back. Right. Like I'm just taking it as two mana deal the damage. And if I happen to be black, it gets even better. Yeah. So like a card like that is like no risk. So you kind of have to be good at evaluating that risk where when it comes to the monocolor cards, the risk of evaluation is so much like less important, I think, like because you're just going to put it in your deck if you're that color. You don't have to worry about thinking about splashing it or anything like that unless you're not playing some weird three color monstrosity and like a six, six, five mana base or something silly like that. Blah. Um, ugh. So but that's that's early in the draft, right? Mm hmm. Then then when you're kind of in the mid draft, so let's say late pack one, early pack two, I think I think that the definition of, of, of a pickable gold card really changes. So I think what you're ideally looking for is you're looking to hopefully solidify one color by the end of pack one and then pack two, you're like, you know, you, you know, you're red or you got a really good shot at being red and then you open the red crot champion and you're like, we could speculate on this pick and maybe be like, maybe we'll get white this direction. Um, and then, and then kind of solidify your second color by taking a gold card. Um, or you already know you have fixing, right? You already know you have an evolving wilds or something like that. And you're like, well, now I can speculate on this gold card because the risk is a little bit lower because I already know what I've built. So I think what you're looking for in the middle of the draft is you're looking for, um, to, to kind of hit maybe hit a home run off of one of these and take a little bit of, a, of an extra risk to get a bigger payoff especially if you've been reading the signals uh you know like you're seeing like well i didn't see white this direction which means i might get white this other direction so maybe i can snap a, bu- a bunch of white cards and i can take a flyer on this um on this gold card so i think in, in that case i think the gold cards creep up a little bit if you're already in that color compared to mono colors um you know either in your color or in a, in a complementary color i would say it still comes down to me on if if there's a solid pick. Like, let's say I'm I'm in that situation where I'm solidly red, right? And then in pack two, I open a Merciless Javelinier and a Deem Worthy. Mm-hmm. Or uh, let's say an Oncrop Crasher and a Merciless Javelinier. Or, or pick any, you know, a Blood Rage Brawler. Like, reasonable red card in that spot. I'm probably still going to take the red card rather than branching out. It's for me, it's when there's not a reasonable pick that's in red and there's not another monocolor card that's competing with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if, if I open a merciless javelinier and a gravedigger, I'll have to evaluate which one I want more because they're mm-hmm. both essentially black cards at that point. And, and that's kind of the way I think you, that you need to evaluate them is this isn't a, another red card for your deck. It's a black card that you can put in your red deck. Yes. So yeah, no, absolutely. As, as long as you're looking at it that way, I think you're fine. Like if if I'm drafting, you know, the, the Oncrop Champion, there's nothing wrong with this card. That's a two green white for the four four that you can exert and untap your other dudes. That's not a bad card. It, it's just not like super amazing. I got to first pick this. But like if, if I take green card, green card, green card, and then see this, I'm like, hey, heck, why not? Like I'm yeah. taking a white card, but it's a good white card. And I, I would be interested in that. I th- I think the like like when I say you're looking to hit a home run, obviously if there's if there's a solid this is a metaphor here, but if there's a solid double or a triple that you're guaranteed to take, you take it because it's the guaranteed thing. But if 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 like you said, if you're going into a second color anyway, or 
the the next best card in the pack and your color is like a tier lower um take that speculative pick i think take that gold card and try to hit that home run um because i mean a lot of the gold cards if you're built around them already um you know i think can be very good especially like a card like the merciless javelinier right like if you're already in black and you have a bunch of you know I don't know, or I guess if you're in red and you're aggressive or you're black and you're discard shenanigans, like you have those ruthless snipers and things like that. Um, you know, that card's just good in any deck that can cast it. I've, I've that, never had true. a board state where I wasn't happy with it. That's true. So, and then I think in pack three, you're kind of not looking to branch out anymore, obviously. So you're kind of looking to pick up the gold cards that you're already in. So you're already in two colors or two and a half colors or whatever. I think it's very rare that I will pick up a card to splash unless unless it is late pack three and there's absolutely nothing else. And I'm like, well, I might splash this if I see like an evolving wilds in the next two picks. Um, but I'm not looking to prioritize that at all unless I'm in that color. At which point you can start to think about will this card wheel? Um, and basically by counting how many cards of that color or uh, pickable cards above this card are in the pack first. Um, very rarely will the gold card gold cards wheel mostly a because they're powerful um and b there's likely somebody already in that color combo or at least close to that color combo so somebody's either going to take it or hate draft it um i think i passed a start to finish which was a mistake once and i'm like ah, it might wheel there's a chance and i'm like uh no actually it's not going to wheel like there's no chance um the middling gold cards will probably wheel whereas the very good gold cards shouldn't wheel um but you can take that risk um again it's that risk reward evaluate your expected expected value um, based on the risk of taking that card. I, I have a, actually a pretty good example from this. It was actually from my draft from GP Richmond. Um, I was in gr- red green and ended up with three Kenra charioteers, um, uh, which is again, not one of those amazing gold cards, but it's pretty dang good, especially if you've got some big dudes, which uh, surprise green red does. I, I first picked like cartouche of strength, picked another one, then picked a magma spray then picked a charioteer, then picked another charioteer, and then saw one very late in pack three. So it was like, okay, I should be in red green. This is just what I should be doing. And getting that extra one very late, I think it was like six picks in. So it wasn't quite the wheel, but it was exceptionally late. It was like, dude, you're in the right colors. Yeah. And like things on that power level, that's where you want to get them. Like ideally is fifth or sixth pick because the other people just aren't in that color combination. And it's not really a strong enough card to splash, which honestly can make some of the color combinations. This is a weird thing, but it can make some the color combinations with the weaker gold cards more likely to get them because like anybody who's playing green is going to take a decimator beetle and see if they can fit it in their deck. Like, well, maybe I'll get an evolving wilds later, but nobody's going to take a Kenra charioteer unless they're planning on playing green red. Like same, same with the blue black one, like the shadow storm vizier is not an amazing card, but it's pretty dang good if you're if you're in blue black. Like I'd always play a one three flyer and give it some extra text. I'm happy, um, but you're far more likely to see these if you're blue black. So it, it's weird. Like the worse your gold card is, the more of them you can get. Weaver of Currents, I find, is a really good example of that. It, it that seems like that is. that card has dropped off um, in my books. I don't think I've actually had the opportunity to play one. But like if you're in that archetype, you can probably get paid off with one of those in pack two or pack three um, mm-hmm. just naturally. You don't have to worry about, well, am I going to see one of these? Because you very likely will. If you're it's probably going to get one. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. This is a good chat. I, think I feel so. like I learned something this week. Good. Good. <laughs>
I, I anything did, else you want to? I didn't learn anything, but I'm glad that I could help you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You're always looking out for me. Yep. Got your back. You got any more coattails that I can ride there? <laughs> Not at the moment, but I'll let you know. I'm planning on All doing right. more uh, PTQs as soon as I possibly can. Uh, so hopefully we've got more top eights in the future. Like I said, we only need three more and I'm I'm on the pro tour. That is true. That is true. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. That I think that was a solid conversation we had this week. And uh, we have an extra long extended uh, pregame warm up for those uh, patrons of yours. So actually, it's probably a good time. Uh, we can talk about where they can find you on the Internet if this is their first time listening. Yes. If you would like to find more Travis, you can find me on Twitch. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash Simulan. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Simulan. You can find draft videos by me right here on manadeprived.com. And I do have a Patreon set up for people both to support the podcast, the videos, as well as the streaming content. Um, that's patreon.com slash Simulan. So you, you can find my stuff everywhere under that name, uh, Simulan. And if it's someone wanted to find you, Dave, where would they find you? If they wanted to find me, I am at uh, Twitch and Twitter under DCivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Uh, and then not lately, uh, but maybe when the uh, when the stress of the deadlines that I'm working under kind of dies down, I will go back to doing draft videos for Mana Deprived as well. So once again, everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the content this week. And uh, go out there and enjoy that uh, Magic Online's 15th uh, anniversary. And uh, show us what you pull in your sealed, your phantom sealed events there. Show me and, what you uh, got. Show me what you got. And we'll be back next week with uh, an unknown topic right now. But uh, you get back-to-back weeks. So enjoy. And we will catch you next time. Bye.